The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. This is Squawk Box. Let's get into your headlines this hour. November kicking off with a positive surprise as data out of China reveals a pickup in the manufacturing sector, boosting market sentiment across Asia. This after Wall Street ends the month near record highs, with the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq Composite posting their strongest monthly gains since June. Meanwhile, Halloween celebrations turn sinister in Hong Kong as police fire tear gas at protesters ahead of another weekend of mass demonstrations. President Trump wades into British politics, saying opposition leader Jeremy Corbyn would be so bad for the UK, while impeachment proceedings ramp up back home. Labor backlash. Unions urge Fiat Chrysler and Peugeot to avoid job cuts and factory closures as the automakers hash out the details on their $50 billion tie-up. So very good morning, everybody. Karen, Juliana, myself have come to the wall to talk about the end of the month because what a remarkable month October was. In so many ways, there were reasons for people to be concerned about putting money to work in risk assets, the ongoing trade war issue, what would happen with Brexit, continued deterioration in the China data and in some of the US data, which has been a little bit spotty. More on that in just a moment. But at the end of the month, as we look at the walls here and wrap up the four weeks that we saw the S&P 500 index are putting in a reasonable showing. Obviously, we had a rather weak session yesterday. Some concerns around what was going on with the Chicago data and, of course, worries yet again as to whether that trade deal will be done. But let's not diminish what was achieved through September in terms of these U.S. indices managing to notch up fresh highs. The Nasdaq also a reflection of the fact that the strongest driver for gains through this year so far has continued to be the technology stocks. They've done fairly well. Four sectors effectively have been the engine that has driven U.S. indices to these gains. Uh, Those four sectors effectively making up 90% of the gains that we've seen across the U.S. markets. One of those areas, though, that we have seen weakness through the month, and I think this is just worth pointing this out, I take a look at the technicals. I do have a look at what they say on the bulletin boards as they get excited about some of these key levels. And Charles Dow, back in the day, used to talk a lot about transports and why transports were important. Effectively, if you were going to see good growth in the economy, and that would be translated into good uh, equity market performance as people looked at the gains coming through to those businesses. Transport should do okay. The concerning factor, I guess, about the transports is that we continue to see some weakness in these transports numbers, a reflection of perhaps that the boxcars are not filling up with goods from China or to go back to China. 
where there has been some strength. And again, for those who look at the guts of the market, maybe just a little bit of concern to express around this as well, healthcare and biotech. And the fact that healthcare is considered a defensive effectively if you're in equity markets again should just be another pause for thought here why if these markets are so strong are people putting money into healthcare? is it a reflection of the fact that they want a barbell strategy that gives them some technology at one end and maybe some more defensive sectors at the other karen oh if you think about why many investors were defensive at the start of october we had a whole list of risks uh, around trade and then that started to move over the course of the month brexit and of course uh, the other big factors being rates and hong kong and the protests i think very much watched by many investors the impact on democracy and the impact on uh, china relations with the west the hong kong market over the course of the month actually increasing improving by three percent and we saw the withdrawal of that extradition bill that the three percent pop in the share market reflecting slightly improved sentiment and notwithstanding that fact a number of the big operators in luxury had to try and steer around some of the luxury issues in the hong kong market don't forget often a, a gateway to the chinese markets in recent years luxury though has bulked up in many of those cities from second and third tier cities as well in the chinese economy and also managed to have some wins from a reduction in sales tax at home so some of those Chinese buyers not even having to cross over to Hong Kong to buy the product anymore can buy them at home in the stores or even in through online channels and that's been very positive if you take a look at LVMH and caring two big stocks in the space I mean this one it has been quite a stunning story uh, a pop of close to five percent at the same time while investors have been looking at the earnings for the various components to handbags to perfumes to spirits and alcohol to uh, cosmetics. You've seen a deal from LVMH for Tiffany in the States. Uh, behind the scenes, officials had sent a letter a couple of weeks ago outlining uh, an all-cash takeover bid, roughly $120 a share, which would bulk up LVMH's presence in the jury and watch segment. By comparison, as you see, all that activity by one of the bellwethers in luxury, Caring, has been the name that many have been watching. You may recall the uh, Gucci effect that we've all been talking about the market, the remaking of a, a very old brand that is uh, now ultra cool with many of the crowd in fashion and that's been very positive for the numbers that said if we started out the month you poured through those numbers you would have noted the comparable revenue increase 11.6 percent much much lower than the 20 odd percent numbers that this company was clocking up say just over a year ago but if you think about that gain double digit gain much higher than the revenue gains that other companies have been eking out across during earnings season and we, we talk about uh, what luxury delivers confirmation of earnings a guaranteed payout for some investors and that's why you've seen such a strong increase in the space even if the numbers are disappointing on a comparable basis from previous years nine percent high for that stock price another sector just working worth taking a look at and that's autos that we've seen a very strong run-up in that sector uh we've got the board over behind jeff actually to take a look at juliana 6.8 percent higher and don't forget during this month we have had huge focus on the macro the numbers came out of China, again weak on sales, yet we had that big deal crossing over the course of the last couple of days, the PSA group fiat deal, and investors are very much focused on the consolidation, the removal of costs and the sharing that will take place in the sector.
Now, this uh, move higher in autos that we saw is part of the shift into value that we've seen come together over the last uh, couple of months. And for European markets overall, we have seen the stock 600 also put together gains about 0.9%. But the real outperformer within Europe was the DAX, the German index. Thank you very much, Jeff, for emphasis. I think it's worth the uh, worth the physical display here. The DAX gained about 3.5%. And within that, of course, a lot of the auto stocks rallying, a lot of the chemical stocks rallying. So these cyclical stocks that had been very beaten up uh, as investors put their money in growth quality stocks. Now that trade has begun to reverse a little bit and the DAX has been one of the key beneficiaries. So this is the second month in a row where the DAX has put together a positive run. So that's the look for German stocks. In contrast, the FTSE 100 here in the UK had a down month. This index dropped about 2%. But important to bear in mind that this drop came alongside a strong rally in the pound. The pound rallied about 5% versus the dollar. And that, of course, comes as the risk of no deal fell away as the EU granted that three-month extension to the UK with regards to Brexit. Yesterday was supposed to be the big day. Fears had been circulating, of course, that we could crash out of the European Union yesterday. That, of course, hasn't happened. The pound has rallied and the FTSE 100 has fallen uh, in uh, lockstep with that. So let's just take a look at the pound versus the dollar to see what the actual level is. I mentioned it was about a 5% gain and the actual level we're looking at now is 129.59. So just a hair below the 130 mark. And those gains have held fairly steady uh, over the last couple of weeks. Looking at uh, currency markets more broadly, let's take a look at the dollar index. Uh, This um, has fallen about 2% over the course of the month. So a fairly steady retreat there. This was the worst month for the dollar index since January 2018. So very clear message there, weakness in the dollar. Uh, Let's just make a couple of quick points here at the wall before we move on with the rest of the stories. And I just want to make two very swift ones. If you look at the year as a whole, this has been one where the U.S. indices, even though we've seen these fresh highs, has started to look like it's topping out. So you've got to ask yourself a very interesting question as we come into the year end. Does the fact that the Fed has delivered all of this support for the market justify the prospects for a year end rally for these equity markets? And a lot of people will be thinking, time to check out. I'll take my money off the table. I may have had a good year already because you've done plus 20% as far as the S&P is concerned. Those people need to be careful because with this much momentum supplied by the Federal Reserve and the new high, maybe that is just a way station on the move to a higher close before the end of the year. And the other point I just want to make is about Europe, because Europe, as we know, has spent most of the year unloved. If you look at most stock charts for European companies, it comes down like this. And then a very interesting thing happens in September. It bounces and it doesn't seem to matter which sector or which company. There is an improvement in sentiment around September. And I'm not even sure it's about the results. For my mind, it's possibly about valuation and the fact that those people who are now worried about the S&P up here are having a scratch around and looking for some relative value and they see Europe and they say, well, how much longer can these markets underperform relative to the United States? So if you want a phrase to run into November with reversion to the mean, reversion to the mean is the phrase 
that I think is appropriate for a lot of the positioning that we're going to see coming into November. I want to talk about what to do tactically because I think that's what a lot of investors have been doing right now. And I was talking to a trader last night on the sidelines of Halloween festivities as investors. How scary. <laughs> Don't that forget. That's totally horrifying. <laughs> it was the scariest conversation we're having in the room, I think, away from all the ghouls yeah. and the scary blood dripping, fake blood dripping from faces. And I think that's what has been happening on markets. You've seen this enormous trading of the ranges. So as soon as the markets go down, investors have pivoted very, very quickly to try and take that on board. When you've seen a bounce, they've tried to get involved as well. And we may have a little bit more of that because if you think of the levels we've now moved to on the stock market indices, particularly in the States, you'd say, well, how much more headroom is there when we're trading around the top end of some of these levels? And the message that's been coming through in recent weeks is that we could see a lot of rotation underlying the major indices still. So again, trading the ranges on stocks and on sectors might be the way forward. Coming up to year end, there's a lot of room before that Santa Claus rally because don't forget it has staggered almost uh, around right on Christmas and on New Year's. So we've still got to get right through November and right through the early part of December, which gives us a window into the strength of the US consumer. So I think for me, there's a lot of uncertainty still about just market direction overall. So take the opportunity and trade those ranges. I think the key here, though, when you mentioned rotation and the rotation that's happening under the surface, and Morgan Stanley made the comment that the pain trade right now is not higher, it's rotation. And we have seen since September a shift into these value stocks. And I think the question now for investors is, can this trade continue? And one of the key determinants of whether it can continue is if the central banks don't surprise dovishly and if activity continues to show some signs of stabilization. Okay, let's um, move on. Uh, Let's get into the rest of the program this morning. Hope that's been useful for you. Uh, One area where we did see some strength overnight is in China's manufacturing sector. It grew at its fastest pace in over two years in October as the country's factories seem to offset ongoing trade tensions with Washington. The Kaishin manufacturing PMI rose to 51.7. That is the third consecutive month of growth. A renewed increase in export business boosted new orders and output However, data from Beijing's Statistics Bureau released earlier this week showed the sector contracted for a sixth straight month. A new location for the signing of a phase one trade deal between the U.S. and China could be announced soon, according to President Trump. The two sides had intended to sign a deal at a summit in Chile, but the conference was cancelled amid unrest in the South American country. Lead negotiators from both sides will continue talks today over the telephone, according to the Chinese Commerce Ministry. Police have fired tear gas to disperse costumed protesters who mixed with Halloween partygoers in Hong Kong. Demonstrators took to the streets in defiance of a recent ban on face coverings, with many wearing masks of Guy Fawkes, the Joker and Chief Executive Carrie Lam. That says the city braces for another mass protest tomorrow as the unrest stretches into its 22nd weekend. Hong Kong retail sales are due out later today after third quarter GDP data showed the Chinese territory has officially entered recession. Emily Tan filed this report from Hong Kong. Hong Kong has entered into a technical recession in the third quarter. This was well flagged by the government in recent weeks with Hong Kong's chief executive Carrie Lam first alluding to it a few weeks ago in her policy address. Hong Kong's economy contracted 3.2% quarter-on-quarter after shrinking 0.4% in Q2. On an annual basis, Hong Kong's economy declined 2.9%. The government is warning of a full-year contraction now after the 0.7% decline in the first nine months of this year. 
A spokesman for the government said economic growth moderated progressively since last year and the situation deteriorated abruptly due to severe impacts of local social incidents. Tourist arrivals in September dropped 34.2% on year and we are waiting on retail sales for September due out after the market closed. The most recent figure in the preceding month plunged 23%, marking the worst sales on record. As the territory approaches 22 weeks of social unrest, private consumption is expected to remain extremely weak. Back to you guys. All right, well, we're going to take a short break, but coming up on the show, Alibaba prepares to release its quarterly earnings today amid questions over the strength of the Chinese consumer. And just a reminder, if you can't get enough of Sporkbox, be sure to tune in for our very own podcast. Head to CNBC.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to have a listen and download today's episode. For our listeners out there, stick around for some more. A CNBC signature event. East Tech West, CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nanshao, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors, and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit easttechwest.com for an application to attend. Welcome back to the program. The ongoing strike at General Motors is expected to weigh heavily on October's non-farm payrolls figures, with just 75,000 jobs expected to have been added to the U.S. economy. 46,000 GM workers are already confirmed to be out of work, while the strike has also impacted the automaker's suppliers. Now, the monthly unemployment rate is forecasted to have risen to 3.6%, while average hourly earnings are expected to have risen just slightly by 0.3%. ISM manufacturing data out today could give a greater insight into the U.S. economy, with forecasts pointing to a continued contraction in activity. Dow Jones is forecasting a reading of 49.1, an improvement on September, but it would still be a third straight month of contraction for the sector. Manufacturing has been weighed down by ongoing trade tensions, the GM, uh, General Motors strike, and the Boeing Max suspension. President Trump has criticised the UK's Brexit deal, saying the terms would make it difficult for the US and Britain to later negotiate their own trade agreement. Trump's remarks come despite Prime Minister Boris Johnson insisting the UK will be allowed to strike its own trade deals if Parliament ratifies his withdrawal bill. Uh, the US President uh, appeared on the UK radio station LBC where he spoke to Nigel Farage, the leader of the Brexit party and the president's political ally. We want to do trade with UK and they want to do trade with us. And uh, to be honest with you, uh, this deal under certain aspects of the deal, uh, you can't do it. You can't no. do it. You, you can't trade. Well, I mean, we can't make a trade deal with the UK and we can be because I, I, I think you, we can do many times the numbers that we're doing right now and certainly much bigger numbers that you're doing under the European Union. Well, the president also hit out at Labour opposition leader Jeremy Corbyn, saying he would take the UK to, quote, such bad places if he were prime minister. He's a fantastic man, and I think he's the exact right guy for the times. And I know that you and him will end up doing something that could be terrific if you and he, if you and he get together. It's, you know, unstoppable force. 
And Corbyn would be so bad for your country. He'd be so bad. He'd take you in such a bad way. He'd take you into such bad places. But uh, your country has tremendous potential. Uh, Well, opposition Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn responded to the US president's remarks, accusing him of interfering in the UK's upcoming election. Corbyn also insisted the UK's public health service should be shielded from any post-Brexit trade deal with the United States. On what was supposed to be Brexit Day, Thursday instead marked the start of campaigning for the UK's upcoming general election. Prime Minister Boris Johnson launched his campaign by visiting a genetics lab in Cambridge. Jeremy Corbyn addressed the Labour Party faithful in London. Labour says it wants a second Brexit referendum, but Corbyn refused to say which way he would vote. Uh, I just want to start with the President's comments. I mean, interesting to just compare what President Obama said, of course, uh, the UK would be at the back of the queue when it came to negotiating a trade deal. That was the point he was making. Mm. And he steadfastly took the view that the UK would be better inside the EU in terms of how America looked at the world than outside of the EU. President Trump before has been much more positive on the prospects for a trade deal, but it seems he believes, and those who are briefing him, believe that maybe this deal isn't the right deal at this point. Which is quite interesting in the sense that there seems to be some friendship between Boris Johnson and President Trump. So you talk about a special relationship between countries, but also between leaders. So you would think it'd be possible to cut the best possible deal and perhaps accelerate the time frame. So this pushback by the president is quite interesting because what have we got? A countdown to an election that is effectively going to be around Brexit. And if the trade deal that Boris Johnson, a Brexiteer, has delivered is not going to allow some freedom to uh, engage with trade deals with other countries that would be beneficial for the country? Will there be even more pushback but from the Brexiteers? And who does that benefit? Does it benefit Nigel Farage? Or does it uh, benefit those who think, well, Brexit, maybe it was just a bad idea overall if you, you've you know, gone to the end of the road on Brexit with Boris Johnson and it's not going to produce what he said it was going to produce, then will you see a swing back the other way? So there might be dramatic outcomes based on some of this dialogue. In terms of fallout from uh, President Trump weighing in here on the situation, I was just looking at a YouGov poll suggesting that two-thirds of Britons actually hold President Trump in a negative light. So is this actually helpful for the government to see him coming out against Jeremy Corbyn, uh, it's probably not a particularly significant commentary coming from President Trump. But then reinforces uh, the supporters for Nigel Farage, who no doubt are probably a very similar category. But we've seen that overall, haven't we? If if you've got a viewpoint and it's reinforced by someone else with that viewpoint, Mm. it just shores up the fact that you feel certain about your viewpoint. It's that type of election cycle out there. I mean, you know that uh, the Labour Party will be secretly delighted that President Trump is weighing in on this. But then ultimately, it only plays really to the Labour base. I think most people actually will look at this and just see it as an irrelevance in terms of what they vote for when it comes down to the real issues. And that for me is the challenge on this one. I was looking at the Ipsos Mori poll, um, which shows actually the Conservatives at uh, 41%, Labour stuck on 24%. The question for me is, what are the issues here beyond Brexit that are really going to touch people's hearts when it comes to getting them out for polling day? Is it actually the NHS and this issue as to the future of the NHS and how much Boris Johnson is prepared to commit to the health service at this point? Or is it something else at this stage? Because it seems to me the Labour Party is um, going full nuclear on the issue of the elites and privilege and reshaping Britain based on 
Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonald's idea about this being a very unfair society. And what will be interesting is if, if that at all resonates with their voter base and gets or persuades some of those floating voters to switch away from centre-right. It's not that type of political climate right now where you look at the manifesto delivered by a party, consider the whole suite of policies and decide overall whether it's going to benefit you or not. It's simply not, not that environment. You've got Facebook, you've got Twitter, you've got other types of social media engaging with voters and all it is doing is pushing out one particular issue that may or may not impact you. And that's what you're going to get a vote on, whether it's Brexit or it might be one policy. And we had Willem explain to us around the dementia issue last time around. Mm. It's, it's single issues and unfortunately that could mean dramatic <coughs> outcomes away from what the pollsters are saying. On your point about Twitter, I think it's a definitely notable what we were discussing yesterday, Twitter's move to ban political ads as we head into campaigning, particularly given the success uh, of the Brexit campaigns, the Leave campaign's use of social media. So without Twitter as a platform uh, at their disposal, will that have well, an ads, impact? For ads, but still allowed to have a free-for-all over any statement they want to tweet out. Yeah. I mean, I'm not so sure, Karen. I know that Brexit has been dominating the headlines and this is being presented in, in many ways as a Brexit election. And that's fair to characterise it that way. But you go outside of London and you talk to people in the rest of the country and they do care at the moment about is the NHS up to the job with this demographic, this demographic rolling through. Why are the crime statistics so bad at this point? Mm. And education, why can't I get my children into the school that I want them to go to? All of these things feel like current issues. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.